Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the April 23rd, 2023 session, focusing on Acts chapter 2, verse 14 and 36 through 41. Cut to the heart. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Crystal Shepard. I'm Bert Montgomery. And I'm Daniel Glaze. I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm constantly learning new things. Sometimes they're important things, sometimes they're more trivial, but at my age, it's rather frustrating, I'll admit, because I'm like, how many years have I wasted not knowing this? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, people have like these aha moments and the light bulb comes on and and I'm like that too. I'm like, really? That's awesome. I had no idea, you know? And so I'm curious, do you have those kinds of moments? And is there an example of, you know, something that you've just recently learned or realized that you didn't know before? Well, I follow like quite a few people on Instagram that like, this is what they do, right? They, they learn these things and then they pass them on. So I don't have to do all the, I don't have to put forth all the energy to like learn. (laughs) So this is kind of a trivial one, but, but if you take iceberg lettuce, you know, most of the time you're like peeling off leaves of lettuce. Instead, Mm -hmm. if you hold it with one hand and take your palm and literally like smack on the hard part that's there, you can literally pull the inside out and then the lettuce leaves just fall apart. Shut up. I know. Yeah. Isn't yeah, that crazy? My, my grandmother used to take it and, and smack it on the counter. Yeah, I had no and clue. Then, and then you just pull the core right out. Yes. It's crazy. Like it's And it's stuff like that that these people like go and they figure out. And then there's another person that will give you like fast food secrets. So like if you go to Wendy's, you can get a bucket of chicken nuggets. It's a special secret menu. And like this guy, like he's giving away all these fast food secrets and like they're mad at him now. (laughs) Yeah. Like Wendy's got mad at him. Then he's like, they gave him like, I think like 10 packs of the individual ones. He goes, do you have the bucket? And they're like, yeah, but you're that guy. And we're not giving it. You're that guy. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I'm learning new stuff on Instagram. Follow, follow people. You'll learn some things. Yeah. That's interesting. I learned the other day when someone happened to mention it, and other people around the table were like, yeah, we knew that. And I was like, had no idea. The word bed, if you spell it out, it looks like a bed. Ah. Wow. Hmm. <laughs> I was wow. the only one at the table that didn't know that. I was like, that's <laughs> weird. And they were like, where have you been? <laughs> Apparently hanging out with y'all since y'all didn't know <laughs> Wow. I can't think of anything. <laughs> Sorry. Not that I know everything, because that's not true. But yes, I have aha moments. I just not having one right now. <laughs> you have them, just can't remember them. I just can't remember them. Oh, well, so I've been on a culinary journey. I guess the pandemic threw a lot of us in the kitchen and I, I started getting really interested in cooking and cookware and you know, so for mo- most of my life, which has been lengthy, I-, I had no idea that different kinds of skillets gave foods different, you know, attributes. And so now I'm like, you know, I, I know when to choose cast iron, which is every time, or mm-hmm. when <laughs> to choose stainless steel when I, you know, and I really only use the nonstick if if I'm doing something you know, I'm really in a hurry or otherwise, but you know, once you taste a crust that's been done on cast iron, it, it's just like, it's like, really? And somehow I went through most of my life not knowing that it mattered. 
So I got a lot of eating to catch up on. <laughs> Honey, let's try this on the cast iron. Uh-huh. <laughs> I hope you're also learning things and, and sharing the things you learn with others, even if they're if they seem trivial. We continue in the book of Acts. And Daniel, would you help us get started with this one? I'll be glad to. I love the aha moment in in this story. Ah. But but first I want to tell you about Mamie Till Mobley. Many of you may know her. She's the was the mother of Emmett Till. After her 14-year-old son Emmett was brutally beaten and killed for allegedly whistling at a white woman, Mamie insisted on having her son's casket remain open so that thousands of mourners at his public funeral would have to reckon with the reality of this white supremacist violence. As they saw his bloodied and beaten body, Mamie wanted all to consider the white supremacist violence that was Jim Crow America. His death demanded a response. Of course, African Americans were not responsible for his killing, but many of them responded. They responded by asking themselves what they would now do. Would they be willing to risk for freedom? How would they live in light of injustice and hate? And looking back, many now say that Emmett's funeral was one of the catalysts of the civil rights movement. That reminds me that, you know, good preaching sometimes causes things to happen. In today's passage, Peter continues his sermon following the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. In this sermon... In this section of the sermon, I should say, Peter draws a contrast between what we did with Jesus and what God does with us. Verse 36, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him Lord and Messiah. And that preaching causes something to happen. When we read that, wait, sorry, let me say that again. We read that when they heard this, They were cut to the heart. I love how Luke puts it. They were cut to the heart. Now, if Bert were leading this introduction, he'd start singing John Bon Jovi. Shot through the heart, and you're to blame. Sorry, Bert, that was a poor substitution for you. And even though they give love a bad name, the people there that day immediately ask, what then should we do? Good preaching sometimes causes things to happen. When he was a young man, Mahatma Gandhi studied in London, and it was there that he learned about Christianity. And after reading Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he was absolutely taken by Jesus and famously said that Christianity was the most complete religion in the world. Sometime later, while living with a Christian family in East India, he changed his mind. He discovered that the teachings of Jesus rarely led to changed behavior for Christians. So I find it fascinating that in response to Peter's preaching, the people ask in a very Gandhi fashion, not what then should we believe, but what should we do? Faith, it seems to me, is as much about what we do, perhaps more about what we do, than what we believe. Peter's response is that they should repent and be baptized. 
Now, I'm willing to bet that when we hear that word repent, we think it means feeling sorry for your sins, asking forgiveness for your behavior. But in Hebrew, shuv, and in Greek, metanoia, the word repent is much more about a complete change of mind and behavior, a radical reorientation in priorities and focus. And as next, week le next week's lesson indicates, this repentance causes a complete change in lifestyle and community and owning things. That's why I love the immediate question in response to Peter's preaching. What then should we do? Because faith is about what you do as much as what you believe. Now, having said that faith is about what we do, let me now say that faith is not about what we do. It's about what God does. Verse 39, for the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. So often we talk about salvation, or using Peter's language here, the gift of the Spirit, so often we talk about it as if it's what we must do. Walk the aisle, confess our sins, proclaim faith, be baptized. And I'm not saying any of that is unimportant. It is important. But salvation and the granting of God's Spirit is not anything that we accomplish. It's not our work, it's God's work. What's more, that gift is not just for some, the elect, the faithful, for those who ask forgiveness, pray the sinner's prayer, repent, believe, do all the right steps in the right order. No, the promise of God's Spirit is for, quote, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And whom is God calling? Everyone. Sounds a lot like the Pentecost line just a few verses before. I will pour out my spirit on all people. And last I checked, all means all. And that's some background on our text for today. Thank you, Daniel. I, I'm struck by how you, you ended. And that last time you checked, all means all. Mm -hmm. Because doggone it, we're so quick to to cut each other off, and and even within Christendom, right? We'll 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 say, yeah, but they're not really Christians, or they don't baptize the right way, or they don't do the Lord's Supper the right way, or they they don't believe the right way. My grandmother was convinced that Methodist, although some of those old Methodist women in her little town were some of her closest friends, especially Friday morning mm -hmm. at the beauty shop, and they're good people. But Methodists don't believe this specific Baptist belief, and therefore they're not saved, and they won't go to heaven. We're always trying to draw our circle around us smaller and smaller and smaller, mm -hmm. let alone beyond the Christian tradition, right? I, you know, I'm just—and we still do that right right now. We're just, who's the true Christians? and. Mm. And if you don't believe this way or profess this way or worship this way, or if you don't live this way, then – and in, when you do that, then you devalue and you dehumanize the other, right? So we can mm -hmm. allow violence to happen to our brothers and sisters. Mm. 
Well, you, Daniel, you made the point that, you know, it's God that does the saving, right? Not, not us. Mm-hmm. And I look at, what is it? Verse, verse 38, he says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. So your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's also very broad, right? I mean, everybody that's baptized that day is going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it is God that gives this gift, which again, I think is a, we so often think we're in the position of choosing who's, who's gifted the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to go where it's going to go. And our posture in paying attention to that, as we realize that it's not about us, that it's about God and God's work and the spirit goes where it will. That is, I think, freeing for us. And it, it orients us more to, to be people who are paying attention than it does to be people who are choosing. Daniel, I also appreciated you sharing the story of Gandhi and mentioning that, you know, that he thought that that Christianity was the most complete religion. But then when he was around Christians, he was like, mm, Jesus's ways don't always translate. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that because I think that we have a lot to learn. And and I think it coincides with this idea that it's, you know, God that does the saving, it's God that does the work, but we have to partner with God in that work and allow the work of God to transform us. And, and that means different things for different people. It reminds me, I have a really good friend that, well, in myself, I, we, I grew up in a, a really small Southern Baptist church. And this, this friend and I met through an organization, a Christian organization in college. And he talks very candidly about how he hated gay people. And then he met my one of my friends that was out and he came out to him at a store that they worked. They were working at Abercrombie and Fitch and he came out to him and he said, because he knew Jason, he started to believe differently. Hmm. And it's like, I knew Jason cause I grew up with him and I knew Jason had a relationship with God, but I also knew that Jason was gay. And I just think about like how, if we allow other points of view and God to work in other people, then maybe we can be changed too, if that makes sense. Like, I think that's the sense of, mm-hmm. of what's going on in the scripture, allowing for there to be change. Like, what must we do? And gosh, that's a scary question to ask God. You know, mm. <laughs> what must we do? Because God's going to answer and sometimes it's probably going to be stuff that that's scary or stuff that maybe we just don't want to do because we really enjoy sitting on our couch and watching Netflix all the time or whatever. You know, like mm-hmm. we may be called to do something out of our comfort zone. Yeah, because um, because it, it's not a it's not a limiting question like the lawyer asked of Jesus, just who is my neighbor? Or remember the person asked, well, how many times really do I need to forgive? 70 times or, and, but this is a, what should we do? Mm-hmm. I mean, the sky's the limit with that question. And you're right. You don't ask that question <laughs> unless you're prepared for the answer. And they were, I think. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's instructive for us, like that willingness. You know, I mentioned on the last 
the last podcast about, you know, the events of this week and me asking God what to do. And at one point, you know, I'm praying and praying and praying. And then I feel God, you know, saying, be my hands and feet. And it's like, well, that's no short order there, is it? I mean, but, you know, to allow, what does that mean in, in these contexts? And if we allow God to work through us, I don't know. I, I think being willing to be open for the movement of the spirit is the important part. Oh. I don't know if any of that made sense, but. <laughs> well, I, I do. And I think it did. And and following, tying that with, with what Daniel was saying, one of the things that we are to do is, as you mentioned, being open, but being open to the reality that the very people we know are beyond God or where God wants to meet us through mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And if we're not, if we're not finding God and God's presence speaking to us through our transgender neighbors, then we're not listening and we're not doing what we can do because I have met the presence of Christ in a transgender person. I have met the presence of Christ. Christ has spoken to me through a drag queen, right? I have worshiped I have entered, I've been drawn into a spirit of awe and worship while standing outside a mosque listening to them chant and pray in Arabic. I couldn't understand the words other than Allah, but if we're open to finding God and finding Jesus and encountering the Holy Spirit in the very people most of us are convinced that God is not, Mm. that's what we need to be doing. Amen to that, Bert. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and I'll, all right, I am going to connect with what you said, but I, I love verse 41. Those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. Were added to what? <laughs> I think they were added to community. Yeah. To the community. Mm-hmm. And so we are not baptized for our individual selves to go to heaven. We are not baptized into the interior faith. We, we are baptized into community. Mm-hmm. And in that community, we find God's presence. And by the way, and here's the connection, I think, with what you were saying, when God creates the community, all are there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when, when, when we try to put the boxes on the community, we say, well, it's, it's people that look like me and talk like me and dress like me and love like me, um, but, you know, n- not those other people. But in God's community, and 3,000 persons were added to God's community, like we said last week, all means all. Mm-hmm. Like we said this week, all means all. I think while we make individual decisions for faith, our decision of claiming faith should draw us into community, should push us into community, even with or especially with those who are different from ourselves. And there we will find Christ. Oh, man. And what if that is what it means to evangelize? Say it. Yes. 
right? Like, what if that's what it means? Because I was brought up that you've got to convert all these people. But like, what what if what you're asking someone to, quote, convert to is community? It's not mm. this specific idea. So that's how we evangelize in the sense of we're calling you to be in relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, we often talk about evangelism as sharing good news. And I think, I think that's exactly right. But to share it means, I think, to say, Crystal, this is who God is to me. Mm-hmm. And, and the sharing is not just me telling you, but, and who's God to you? Yep. Mm-hmm. For Bert to say to, to those persons at, at drag brunch, this is who God's, this is what God's love means to me. What does God's love mean to you? And be open to, to hearing different stories or, my guess, often happens, a very similar story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want, I want to go back and tie back to something that was said at the beginning. Daniel, I think you said it in your intro about how we, we, we've talked about conversion and repentance as a come to church, say this prayer, you're sorry, and now you get to go to heaven. And rather than being called into relationship, we've treated we've treated this conversion or repentance, salvation, I forgot the word you just used, Crystal, evangelization. We've treated that not as a call to community. We've commu- we've treated it like a capitalist commodity, right? Mm-hmm. Y'all said earlier that God does the saving, yet we keep the record like it's an inventory who we've sold an idea to that they have had to agree to, mm. right? And then we could track up and, and send our records off that this church saw 3,000 souls saved. So their name was added to somebody's list somewhere in a record-keeping department, right? But that's not it. I love that imagery of being added to our sense of community. Wow, this is yeah very radical for a lot of us. Yeah, because have you ever been to those—gosh, I'm dating myself and showing you all how boring my job is, but have you ever been to those— denominational meetings, and they print the list of these are the churches that gave the most, these are the churches who had the most baptisms, and, and that's the that's the the symbol of excellence, right? And and, and I'm not saying it's not. I mean, I, I, I would bless churches that are baptizing people, but, but baptism is not about, you know, even, you know, some sort of acceptance of interior religion, and it's not even baptism into a a singular community but into God's community. Yeah, and so I, I I just think we need to be expansive in all of these definitions. I just finished reading the autobiography by Glenn Henson, A Miracle of Grace. And I've heard him say this 30 years ago when I sat in one of his classes. I heard him say it 15 years ago when I was still sitting in his classes. And and he says it in the in the in his autobiography. He's been he's been saying for 50 years or more, that the worst thing that happened in the American church, specifically in the Baptist denomination, was around in the 1940s, or before that even, they began to accept the growing corporate model of doing of, of secular corporations for doing church, which compartmentalizes everything, reduces everything to a number that you can mm-hmm. keep track of, and, and you cut out 
all the relationships. You cut out the messiness. You cut out the work of the Spirit. And then all that matters is who's got the biggest church, who's got the biggest baptistry, who has the most money. That's where God is, and that's not where God necessarily is. Now, when I was a, a little kid, I even remember—I think they were sort of going out of favor, but I still remember the— the offering envelope that I would mm-hmm. put my dollar in, and it had like bringing Bible to church twenty percent. You know, <laughs> invited a friend ten percent. I'm like, who comes up with these numbers? Like, what what mathematician is saying this is worth? Tw-? I mean, that's just stupid. But but the <laughs> idea that that we're we're being. I mean, number one, the, the percentages don't make sense. Who comes up with those? But but this. We're going to give everybody a grade, mm-hmm. and because you're you're only faithful if you've gotten a high enough score. Mm-hmm. Well, that was their answer yeah. to the yeah. question you asked. Yeah. What do we do? Oh, okay. Well, if I read my Bible daily, mm-hmm. if I give a yeah. tithe this morning, if I made a visit, <laughs> if yeah, I, yeah, you know, and that five to or six things, that's what I. That's all I had to do, right? And report it to the church. And the word that comes to mind is transactional. I mean, that's what it yes. is. It's just, it's yes. like, yeah. that's what salvation is seen as, you know, salvation. That's what, what, you know, that's, that's, it's not relationship or the relationship is a transaction. And so like, even I was thinking about when you're talking about the the envelopes, like I remember at the church that I grew up in, there was always the sign up front that had how many attended Sunday school, how many yeah. visitors were, you know, and it's like, well, let's keep this tally Rather than what are we doing to be in relationship with people? What are we doing in the community? So, yeah, I mean, it's transactional rather than, you know, and and people are seen as a commodity. You're a number. And so how how many people can I get to church? How many friends can I invite? Ooh, if I invite two friends, is that 20% instead of just 10%? Mm. Then I can like fudge on reading my Bible, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. yeah. I love your word. <laughs> yeah, I love your word transactional because it it this kind of thing turns faith and turns our faith in, into like like something we purchase. Mm-hmm. And the and this is the the capitalistic thing you were talking about, Bert. And and the currency with which we purchase it is our good works. Mm-hmm. You know this this list of good works. But you know what those. those Right. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but what those envelopes didn't have on them was visiting someone in prison, taking care of someone who was sick, bringing food to someone who just lost a spouse, being kind to the kid at school who doesn't have any friends, welcoming into my home a trans kid who's been kicked out of their home. Mm-hmm. The, the things that Jesus would have us do and actually said we were we should do don't show up on that envelope as as the as the percentages that we ought to do so we've we've created the whole system and and we created it backwards and and I love the title of this lesson cut to the heart because that's what this does because we can create a system that we can feel good about that has no heart mm. mm-hmm. so I was I was in Louisville on the day of the shooting at at the Covenant School in Nashville. And I was taking a pastor friend from Lexington on a tour of the recently added to Simmons College of Kentucky campus, Ida B. Wells Hall, which is a historic building. It was the first school for blacks 
in Kentucky. And it has recently come into the possession of Simmons College. And so it's part of their campus now. And it's been beautifully refurbished and redone. And they've they've even um, commissioned art that tells stories of black church history and black leadership. And it's all over the all over the building, just beautiful art. And so I, I enjoy going there when I'm on campus and, and visiting, and I love taking people there. One of the things that's kind of turned into a special part of that visit is, and I'm going to call him Curtis to not reveal his, his real name, but he, he sits at the desk. He's, he's the security guy that sits at the desk. And when you come to the front door and you want in, he lets you in and then says, who do you want to meet with? And I will sit and talk to Curtis. He's he's a really interesting guy. Well, that day, I had just gotten the text on my phone when I was standing by his desk that's told about the shooting in Nashville. And I said, oh, my goodness. And I shared it with him. And, and we sat and talked. And I met my pastor friend as well. And we talked for 20 or 30 minutes. I realized the sense of community I suddenly felt with someone who knows gun violence a lot better than I do mm. Mm. and a lot more closely. And he told stories of friends and family who had been affected by gun violence. But our conversation ultimately shifted around to talking about the heart, which I, th- I thought was really interesting because that's kind of where our conversation today has has rotated around is this this cutting to the heart. And, and talking about what is it, what is it that we as, as people, as communities, are? how are we losing our sense of heart, our care for one another, our welcoming of one another, our, our enjoyment of one another? Where, how have our hearts, as the Old Testament says, how have they gotten so hardened? Or as Curtis said, so cold? Hmm. I tell the story not because we came to any grand conclusions, but because to me, that as I listen to us discuss this today, that sense of community, the sense that I feel like it was important for me and Curtis and my friend to sit together for that 20 or 30 minutes in Ida B. Wells Hall and talk about this shooting that had just occurred. And it was ministry for me. I don't know what it was for Curtis, but I felt the spirit at work. And I am grateful for that time to sit and share about it with Curtis. Maybe it is as simple as that, right? Not formulas, not numbers, not transactions, but letting the spirit guide us into conversations, real ones, with the people that are around us that help us to together work on growing our community and, as this passage says, adding persons to that community. Mm. Mm. It's good work. May we all be about it. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.